your mind right, Luke. Uh, it's one of my favorite films. It's got a little language in it, but so many teachable lessons in there of running and coming back and running and coming back and how uh, sometimes the Lord draws us back and sometimes our own error, our own failures draw us back to him. Uh, and that's the message that he sends here as this letter writer to Pergamum, one of these seven churches of Asia Minor here in Revelation chapter 2, if you want to turn there before we read today. He says, listen, come back, get your mind right. You're, you're, you're doing good things, but your thinking's wrong. Stinking thinking is what gets us in a lot of trouble in this world. And I, we as the body of Christ ought to be a model for, for good thinking. Sometimes, though, we're not. Sometimes it's the influences that were, that were brought, brought to bear as we were raised. Sometimes it's the influences, sometimes even in the church, that are brought to bear in our lives that, that create this concept of stinking thinking. And we've, it's all we've ever experienced, all we've ever known. So that's the, that's the road we've chosen to walk. I mean, it may or may not be right. So let's look at this text together today from Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. And go back and see what uh, we can glean from moving beyond stinking thinking. Verse 12. To the angel of the church, that's a pastor, to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the, the Nicolaitans, Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To those who are victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give each of them a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the ones who receives it. Now, what I'm trying to get us to see today are, are the repercussions, the costs of stinking thinking. That's what he points out to them to say, you're taking the right stance, but in the wrong way, from the wrong platform. Stinking thinking, first of all, starts with a reference point. It starts with a reference point. Look back with me to 12 and 13. These are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. I know where you live. Now, this phrase usually isn't used in a positive way. I know where you live. I'm coming after you. It's usually not used in a positive way. He means it that way, though, here to say, I know you're in, a <clears throat> you're in a sinful part of a sinful city. I know you're in a place where you're, you're kind of in the lion's den. In fact, he refers to it where Satan has his throne. Pretty stark, strong language to say, you're living in a sinful place. You're living in the Vegas of your day. You're living in a sinful place in the, in, in the most sinful part of that sinful city. To say, I know where you are. I know your circumstances. I know what you're up against. Uh, and even in doing so, you're standing up for the Lord, even under the death of Antipas, this, this witness who, who took a stand and was put to death for his stand. I know what you're up against. I see that. And I, that, that, that stand, that stance is a good, a good thing. So they were doing the right things, but from the wrong place, from the wrong position, from the wrong vantage point. And the, and the one here with the double-edged sword is the one who's, who's, 
who's taking the double-edged sword and slicing and dicing to say, this is right, this is wrong, this is right. This, he's surgically going, going through the life of this church to say, yes, no, yes, no. Hard place, good stance. Bad position, bad belief, bad theology, bad doctrine, good stance. So keep praying, keep standing. So he's slicing and dicing with this double-edged sword to say, I know who you are, I know, I know where you are, and I know what's, 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 what's to come of this. Now, this is not the first place you'll hear this, probably you've heard this, uh, this concept of a double-edged sword. Hebrews, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 4 speaks to this, verse 12. It says this, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This double-edged sword of the word judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. He's saying you the reference point of their stance. The stance you're taking is good, uh, but there's some stinking thinking and there's some bad execution among you. Uh, now, Rob can call all great plays on Friday night until the execution starts with the team. <laughs> if a team doesn't execute the play, you know what it ends up being? A bad play. Is it the, the call's fault or the execution? It's usually the execution's fault to say, this would have worked if you'd have put it into practice in the right way and everybody had done their job. And what he's saying here is good stance, good positioning, good backbone, but you believe in the wrong things. You're from the wrong vantage point, from the wrong position. Bad execution, he's saying here. So stinking thinking starts with a reference point. And your reference point may for you be, some of you, how you were raised. It may be that some of the stinking thinking is, here's what I've seen. People that have a negative spirit, Often we're raised in a home where there's not a lot of negativity, where there's so much cynicism and everything's from jaded and everything's half empty and, and the world's not working. We're all going to hell in a handbasket. And when, I, when I'm raised around and, and, and exposed to that much negativity, I grow up thinking, life's supposed to be negative, isn't it? Likely, the same way, when I'm raised around the sense of, well, this could work, you can do this, you can make this happen, I'm raised around a sense of positivity. I begin to see that there are possibilities in life that I never saw before. Why? because I was raised with, to, to, to see those things. Now, don't, this isn't a blame your mom and dad session for how you turned out. But it, just to say this, we're exposed to things that, that jade our thinking, that, that, that cement us sometimes into places where we think that's the way life's supposed to be. And sometimes it isn't. And they were cemented in the wrong place here to say, you believe in the wrong things. I appreciate how, how much backbone you have, but you have backbone about the wrong things sometimes. So, all of us have a reference point, and, and, and stinking, thinking, uh, stinking thinking starts that way. Secondly, stinking thinking hangs on to the old, good or bad. It hangs on to the old sometimes, good or bad. Look at verse 19 with me. I'm sorry, verse 14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. You hold to the teaching of Balaam. Now, this is an Old Testament reference he's making here, and back to Numbers 22 and 23. If you want to look at that story, to the theology, to the belief, to the practice of, of this idea of deception. And what, what, what Balaam did is try to deceive the Jews, the Israelites, as it pertains specifically to food and to sex, to say, you should go ahead and eat this. I mean, there's nothing wrong with this. It's just because of sacrifice to idols, what, what difference does that make? Go ahead and eat of the, of the, the clippings, the cuttings, the leftovers of this, these sacrifice things. <clears throat> and also, about, while you're at it, this idea of sexual immorality is all relative anyway. He's not really talking about any, anything absolute here. And so there's deception going on that Balaam is involved in. And so he's saying, 
you're, you're being sucked into this idea that Balaam started back in the Old Testament. And it's, it was bad then, it's bad now. It was stinking thinking before, and it's stinking thinking now. You and, you and I have probably heard this phrase. Some of us maybe have used it. That's the way we've always done it. But that's the way we've always done it. That's the way I've always, all of us have done those things. And here's, here's what I want you to hear. There's nothing evil or wrong with that. But it's not good just because it's old. And it's not right just because it's old. Sometimes it can be old and wrong or old and bad. He's saying here, your, your reference point is an old, ancient reference point, but it's still bad. It was wrong then. It's wrong today. And just because it's old doesn't make it right. Some things get better with age. Some things don't. Cigars age well. They smoke better after, after they've been aged a while. Wine, I'm told, ages better. Milk, not so much. Uh, some things better with age, some things not so. And so he's saying here, learn to see those things that, that are real and true as it pertains to this double-edged sword. Let the double-edged sword be the guide. Let, let the word be the guide as to what's true and what isn't, what's false, what isn't, what, what stands and what shouldn't. Shaping our theology, and that's what they were doing here, shaping our theology to fit our lifestyle is never a good idea. It'll, it's good for the moment, but over the long haul, it tends to jade and, and hamper our witness uh, you don't believe me, ask Jim Jones, ask David Koresh, ask Jim Baker, ask Jimmy Swagger of shaping theology to fit your lifestyle, how that works for them. God says, that didn't even work. In fact, I'm not going to stand for that. And I'm judging you now with this double-edged sword to say, you don't shape your theology to fit your life. If it's old and if it's based on habit, based on tradition, here's a couple of questions to address to it. First of all, is it relevant? Whether it's old or not, is it relevant? And secondly, is it right? Doesn't matter whether it's old or new, is it right? Is it relevant and is it right? If it isn't relevant and isn't right, <clears throat> let it go. Regardless of how long we've been believing it and hang on to it. If it's old and based in truth, based in the word of God, keep it. If it's not, let it go. He's saying here, these things, should, there's a reference point here. The reference point is this double-edged sword, this, this double-edged blade that cuts back and forth to reveal and, and shape truth. Stinking thinking starts with a reference point. It hangs on to the old, good or bad. Thirdly, stinking thinking embraces the new, good or bad. Look at verse 15 with me. Likewise, you also have, have those who hold to the teaching of the, of the Nicolaitans. Now, the Nicolaitans were a fairly modern day in that day. Cult, basically, is what they were. And uh, <clears throat> this cult had one, 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 one concept that was uh, put forth by them was that Sexual immorality was to be experienced. You don't judge the rightness or wrongness of, of moral or immoral sex based on the scripture. You judge it based on your experience at it. So you, you learn, you go ahead and step into it and experience it, and then decide for yourself, let your conscience be the guide. Is this right or is this wrong? That's one of the theories that, that Nick Layton's had, and he dovetails here with this Old Testament theory of Balaam as well in Numbers 22 and 23. And this was in that day an enlightened view, a, uh, a changed enlightened worldview. This says, <clears throat> that, that's not all bad. Experience that for yourself and make the judgment yourself whether that's good or whether it's bad. That isn't anything new. And we, we're, we're experiencing, in fact, we were experiencing more of that in our day and time. I remember in the mid to late 60s, uh, some of you are old enough to remember the mid, mid to late 60s, some of you aren't. But bless you anyway. Um, <clears throat> but in the 60s, <clears throat> there was a phrase that was coined, if it feels good, do it. No matter what, does it feel good? Do it. 
Because if it feels good, it's right for you. And the, the, the doctrine behind it, the theology behind it, is if it feels good to you, it's right for you. <coughs> Excuse me. That started this whole concept that has permeated academia in our day to say truth is always relevant. Or, I'm sorry, truth is always uh, experiential. Truth is always a relative thing. It is never an absolute thing. It is relative truth. And so as we determine it <coughs> by our own experience and our, as life goes by, we touch foot in here and, and experience that and taste this. and ex- we, do, we decide what is absolute truth from what is relative truth. And so our takeaway from that is it's all relative until I experience it. And that was the same idea he's talking here about Balaam, the same idea he's talking with about the Nicolaitans to say experience that and then decide for yourself whether it's true or not. And, and Lord Jesus, the letter writer here from home is saying, it's not going to work. The sword's going to slice and dice that truth for you. Uh, look, at, look at the consequences of this belief and this practice. Look at verse 16. Therefore, repent. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. This is the Lord Jesus himself saying, I'm coming to get you. There's going to be a reckoning. If you're, if you're hanging on to this, this, this relative theology that, that it's all right, it's all okay, I'll slice and dice that when I come. There's going to be a reckoning when I come. There's consequences of those kind of beliefs. And what he's saying here is just because it's new doesn't mean it's better. Better is better. New isn't always better, he said. So this, this was a new concept in that day. Uh, I remember when <coughs> in the early 70s <coughs> when pressure-treated lumber was first uh, released into the marketplace. And it was designed and, and did a good job at the time of doing this to make contact with the ground. You could stick it in the ground and come back supposedly 40 years later, pull it out, and it looked just like that when you stick it in. It's designed to make contact with anything moist, the ground or, or concrete or anything that would, would hold moisture. And it did a great job at that. The problem was when it first came out in the 70s, it had arsenic in it. And all you had to do was rub up against it to get a little arsenic into your system, get that poison into your system. It, you got fresh treated with a child that doesn't have arsenic anymore. Don't panic. Because that was just about a six or eight year period until they started to discover somebody makes skin contact with that stuff. And they're, 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 they're breaking out. They're irritant. And some of them, in fact, there was records of four or five deaths as a result of exposure to pressure treated wood <clears throat> that had been treated with arsenic. So just because it's new doesn't mean it's good. That just because it's new doesn't mean it's a good idea. Doesn't mean it's sound. Doesn't mean it will work. Doesn't mean it's better always. Uh, better is better, new and better. So how can I know the difference between better and, and new and whether something's new and good or new and bad? Well, he, he points it out here to say, I run it through the filter. I filter it by way of this double-edged sword. If it'll stand up to the sword. If it'll stand up to this book. Bank on it. If it, if it doesn't, if it won't, let it go. Embracing the new, good or bad, is what stinking thinking happens. Finally, it's this. Stinking thinking hinges on proper discernment. Look with me at verse 17. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To those who are victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give each of them a white stone and put a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, he, he ends each one of these seven letters with this same phrase. For him who has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is he saying? <clears throat> to look at spiritual things through a human, carnal, finite, fleshly lens is never going to work. You'll not see spiritual things through a human, carnal, finite, fleshly lens. You've got to put on a spiritual lens, put on an eternal, an eternal worldview to see things that are eternal, to put on spiritual eyes to see things that are spiritual, and physical eyes to 
see things that are, that are physical. So how do we hear the Spirit speak? Either by way of his word or by way of an inaudible, but sometimes seemingly loud enough to be audible voice, if you've ever experienced that. I, I had before, I, people ask me, have you ever heard the physical audible voice of God? And I said, it seems like I have, although I didn't hear anything physical. The boy was loud. It got my attention enough to be, phys- to be physical. And so whether you, you hear the voice of God, the, the Spirit of God, that way or whether the Spirit speaks to his word or both, this idea of understanding the, the spirit, learning to separate the spiritual from the physical is of paramount importance if we're going to see and hear and understand the will of God and the ways of God and the word of God. Now, two, two things come into play here when that happens. One is this. How do we, how do we, how do we get that? How, how, do, how do I hear what the Spirit says to the church? How do I hear what the Spirit is saying to me, either by way of his word or by way of his, his own still voice? Well, positioning is of paramount importance. Positioning, and basically that has to do with posture. In essence, what I'm, what I'm saying is the environment we put ourselves in will have everything and a lot to do with whether we hear the voice of God or not. If my world and my life and my ways and my phone and my schedule are not, if I'm consumed with something, to, some place to go, some place to be, somebody I've got to talk, if I'm consumed with busyness, and sometimes even I think the enemy uses the church to, lull us into this as well, to, to consume us with religious busyness until all the plates are spinning. I've got no time for God to speak because I've got to keep this going. I've got to keep the, the kids going. And so this, this idea of our being occupied all the time, I think is a pagan idea. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago on Mother's Day about the importance, and Mary got this, she, she understood this concept well, the importance of pondering. We don't ponder enough. We don't find enough space to say, God, what are you up to? What are you trying to say to me? What, what do I need to hear from you today? And part of that is just never finding a place where we can rest and think and receive. Because if we're if, in our culture, if we're not going 15,000 different directions, there's something wrong with us. We're somehow lazy. We're somehow ill-equipped or, or we're not busy enough. We're not, there's not enough going on in our world, in our life. So finding ourselves in environments where we are positioned to hear the voice of God, we're going to hear the voice of God. If he's got to cut through this and that and, and on the drive to that, and sometimes he'll do that. I'm not saying he won't. If he's got to wedge himself in between six things, probably not going to hear his voice. If we're, if we're making room and time and space for him, there's far greater chance to hear what, not only hear what he says, but the way he says it in the sense to say, I know this is of, this is of God because I, I'm convinced I've heard it of the Spirit. So positioning is important. But second thing is this, is pursuit. My pursuit of his word will give me a greater understanding of his voice every time. Why? As I've demonstrated over and over again, he, his word will always line itself with the spirit. They will never find themselves in two separate places. Whatever the spirit speaks to you, you can find in his word. Whatever you read in his word will be reinforced with the spirit every time, every time. So this idea of pursuit, of understanding his word, and especially understanding his word in light of the circumstances around us is vitally important because I can make sense of this when I make sense of this. I can make sense of finances when I make sense of this. I can make sense of marriage when I make sense of this. I can make sense of the other relationships when I make sense of this book. Why? Because it brings understanding to all those things that I don't see. If I'm, if I'm out here trying to flounder and figure out, is God in this anywhere? Yes, he is. And he says, I want you to see it and understand what's going on, but you've got to get your nose. You've got to pursue me. You've got to come after me to find those things. So it's about positioning and about pursuit to hear and understand his voice. That's what he's saying is, in essence, to say, for him who has ears to hear, if you really want to hear me, position yourself properly and pursue me and you'll find me. If you really want to hear me, I want to hear my voice, and he'll come through every time. Now, now God can and will use anything to speak to us. He 
he'll, he'll cut through our circumstances. In fact, he'll, he used a busted water heater to speak to us one time. And he'll use car trouble. And he'll use, he'll use whatever he wants to to get your attention to speak to you. In fact, he used, he used a talking donkey to Balaam in Numbers. He'll use whatever he wants to to get your attention to speak to you, to get your attention to where you'll see him, stop and say, God, what are you up to? What do you have to say to me? It is how radical and how drastic he has to go sometimes to get our attention. It's comical. But look at, look at this reward for proper discernment in this verse. He says, I'm going to give you the, the hidden manna, the part that's been tucked away, the good stuff. There's an episode of Seinfeld where he always talks about you know, the, the grocer having the good produce in the back, the bruised produce and things are out in the produce stand and the good stuff. So he goes into the store and, can I get some of the stuff in the back? The guy kind of looks at him funny. And I, I was raised in a grocer's family and believe me the good stuff is out front you want to sell the good stuff the stuff in the back is going to my house that's what we grew up on the bruised produce the dented cans the ones that didn't have any labels on them that's in the back and that's going to the house the good stuff is out front and so what he's saying is this hidden that i've been that i've been reserving for for those who really seek and pursue me with a great understanding i'm going to give you this now the the, the benefits of hidden manna <clears throat> i believe as it relates to, to, to a deeper understanding of what God's up to and proper discernment, discerning his voice, discerning his will and his ways for us. This hidden manna is really the best of foods that, that both fills us and fuels us. Fills us up to, 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 in a sense of, I don't need anybody else or anything else to, to get to find fulfillment in this place. I get fulfillment out of my life from who God tells me that I am and what his word says that I am. Not only that, that filling fuels me to live and share and walk out my faith in ways that says he is a paramount, paramount importance in my life. I want you to see that, experience that, and know that for yourself. The fuel for that kind of walk and that kind of witness comes from the hidden manna, and the hidden manna comes from proper discernment. Proper discernment comes from my positioning and my pursuit of the voice and the hand and the word of God. So when I connect the dots in those things, I start to, ah, that is what this is about. That was what this was about. As I start to put the puzzle pieces together, God says, listen, I've been up to this all along. I've been wanting you to see this all along. You, you've not taken the time and, and pondered and, and, and listened and pursued and came after me from the standpoint of seeing what I'm up to. I want you to see this at every turn. You can see me around every corner waiting for you if you'll position yourself to look for me there instead of wondering what's, what's, what's next and worrying and, fe- and being afraid about what's around the next corner. I'm already around the next corner waiting on you to reveal to you what I want you to see around here. And so this idea of our, of our living our lives <clears throat> with great discernment, the, the hidden man is, is a reward for all that. This greater understanding, this greater sense of enlightenment, this greater sense of here's what God's up to. And, here's, and th- those kinds of things fuel us and fill us for the next day and the next circumstance and the next problem, the next valley, the next hard place. He said, you'll see that in a different life if you'll learn to feed on me and find fuel and fulfillment in me. Second thinking. Starts with the reference point, hangs on to the old, good or bad, and sometimes embraces the new, good or bad, but hinges on proper discernment. So here's a question and an observation as we close, and that's this. What have you allowed to creep in over time? As I always say, the enemy always works incrementally with us. He never slaps us in the face with, with a lie. He always gives a piece of it, another piece of it, another piece of it. What have you allowed to creep in over time that, that you've accepted is right, or at least okay, that would never probably past filtration. What I mean by filtration is this double-edged sword slicing and dicing the truth from what's false, what's real from what isn't, what you can trust from what you can't. What have you allowed to creep in over time? And you've thought now it's okay. 
Uh, and it, as I said, it, it seldom happens <clears throat> all at once. It's the enemy saying, this is all right. This TV show's okay. That music's, that music's okay. This book's all right. This, this relationship with this potty mouth person, okay, that's, that's okay. And we allowed, we, we've, allowed the, we've accepted things we shouldn't have accepted over time. And we find ourselves days, weeks, months, years down the road saying, how did I get here? I used to have an intimate, fulfilling, <clears throat> fruit-bearing walk with him. What happened? What usually happens is over time, I start to absorb and accept those things that I should, never should have absorbed, never should have accepted as okay or as, as right. Um, and, and verse 14 tells us those things are usually either consumed or absorbed, They're, whether, whether by way of food or, or sexual immorality. He said, you've, you've consumed things or you've absorbed things you should have never consumed, should have never absorbed. Now, you didn't take a huge gulp of it. You take a small bite, a small bite here, and a small bite there until it's now a regular part of your diet. What happened to that? He's saying that's, that's, that's over time jaded you and pushed you further away from the truth, pushed you, you're taking great stance now. You're standing up for God, but from the wrong positions, from the wrong beliefs, from the wrong place. Get back to believing the right things, having the right position in the right place, back to pursuing me, and your stance will matter more. It'll be louder. It'll be more evident to others around you. Well, whether that's occurred or not with you, it's never too late for a cleansing. Um, when you get to be around 50, the doctor says, you need a colonoscopy. Wonderful news. Because the colonoscopy is nothing. The cleansing the day before the colonoscopy is what's the, what's the hard part about the colonoscopy. But he's saying here that, that sometimes our minds need that kind of washout. They, we need that kind of cleansing, that kind of let, let's, let's reprogram, deprogram. Then reprogram. Let me find a place of solace, a place that, whether that's just to take time away from work and or off, off, off of your normal routine, to hear and heed the voice of God. We need to find our place, pursuing our lives, pursuing those kinds of places. Why? Because they, they matter for us. That's where we find the hidden manna. That's where we find the treasures. That's where we find the things that really feed us in a lasting way over and over again, decade after decade. Now, how do I do that? Well, and how do I know whether I've allowed this to creep in incrementally and this is wrong and I've, I've absorbed this over time and this is wrong? How can I even see that anymore when I've lived this way? Well, if here's something I'll challenge you to do. He'll always do. If you'll ask the one who holds the double-edged sword, he'll slice and dice it for you. If you'll ask him, to, God, reveal that to me, show that to me, I'm telling you, he will do it. We may not always be open and welcome to what he's going to say and do, but he will slice and dice what is truth from what's not, what is good from what is bad, what is evil from what isn't. We may not like what we find, but if we ask him, he will reveal those things to us and we can revisit those things afresh. What are we allowed to creep in? And now it's okay. You should have never done. And it is never too late to cleanse. It's never too late to say, this, this, this computer has a little red reset button on it for a reason. And everything crashes, let me reset. And this is God saying to Pergamum here and to us, sometimes it's time to reset. Sometimes it's time to get back to the basics of the word and this truth, to walk in it, to heed it, to live it, to believe it, and to share it from the right place. Taking a great stance in a hard city, in, a hard, in the midst of evil, but make sure that the stance you take is the right one, from a right position, from a right belief, from a right vantage point. Why? Because heaven and hell may hang in the balance for someone who sees your life. 
That's why it's important that things we believe have to be right. Let's push ourselves in that direction.